Hello, and welcome to Life and Inside Job, the podcast where we centre our internal experiences as sources of comfort, nourishment, and creativity. My name is Kate. I'm the author of Second Spring, the self-care guide to menopause, and I'm a writer, mentor, speaker, artist, and facilitator. The other thing that I love to do is have soulful, meandering conversations with people about how their inner lives nourish them. And this is what Life and Inside Job is all about. If you're in perimenopause, in menopause, or in your second spring or summer, you might enjoy the wealth of yoga nidras, visual guides to the seasons, meditations and workshops that are free and very easy to access. Just go to my website, katecodrington.co.uk and click on the button that says start here. It is my delight to hold space for people like you to deepen into your body wisdom and your soul's longing so that you can re-find trust in your cyclical nature and use the cues from your inner seasons to navigate this world with presence and delight into the second cycle of your life. And this can be one-to-one sessions with the menopause doula service, or I can make it really easy for you to organise a retreat day or a talk, a workshop or a circle for you and your community. Just book a free chat and we can figure out what might work for you over a cup of tea together. The topic of purpose is enormously charged. We feel beset by inner critics, by doubts and overwhelm. And at the same time, we feel that this is it, that we have this one wonderful life and just around the corner, meaning, satisfaction and purpose awaits us if only we could get it right. But it so often escapes our grasp. Thank heavens for Fiona Buckland's book, Find Your Own Path, How to Create the Life You Really Want. Like a teeny tiny life coach in your pocket, it offers a friendly step-by-step approach to finding your calling, to finding your purpose. Fiona is a life and leadership coach, a facilitator, author, speaker, who has worked one-to-one with hundreds of clients and led thousands in public and corporate workshops, trainings and events, including the School of Life and the Guardian Masterclasses. And in this conversation with Fiona, I ask her about why it's so hard to find our path, how we can track our way to more meaning and fulfilment in our lives, how we can manage the obstacles that get in our way, including those pesky inner critics, or rather the annihilation squad. (laughs) And we dive into her creative process, the story of how and why she wrote the book and how she's letting it go into the world. What, What it's been like bringing so much of her own story into the public realm and how she's caring for herself as this passion project is burst into the world. If you're engaged in a creative process, you're highly likely to find something useful in this conversation. And here's a tip. We are all engaged in creative process. 
Fiona, what is the the fire that has lit you up to create this book? Because creating a book is a long and arduous process and you have to have like a, a raging bonfire behind it to get you through the tough stuff. Yeah, I think you need a nuclear power station <laughs> underneath you. Because it is a it's a long process, right? And it's um uh I always say to people who go, Oh, I'd love to write a book. I'm like, well, how do you feel about spending eight hours a day on your own, apart from your inner critics? <laughs> um it it's 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 an interesting process because it is a process, right? And the seed the seed is there uh, very early. And I'm describing this now, looking back on the process, being in it is something else. I didn't know at the time it was going to end up in a book. Um, there's this idea about having an acorn, that we've all got an acorn inside us. You might have heard this. It's a Jungian idea. I think James Hollis talks about it. And you can see that even in a child. And when I was a kid, I wanted, I, I was writing all the time. That's what I did. Some kids wanted to build things, smash things. I wanted to write things. So you could say in a way that that's there. But years ago, I went to a writing retreat and the retreat leaders who were both professional writers said, look, what are you doing here? You can write. You just need to find something to write about. And in order to do that, you have to stop with the BS what? <laughs> Excuse me. But they said, you, you need that thing. You need that fire. And <clears throat> I guess the fire, it wasn't lit yet, but it was already smoldering. The embers were there. I just didn't know what it was. Um, I decided at a certain point, this is such a funny story to write a will. I wanted to be grown up and write a will. But what I wanted to do was I wanted to leave a little bit of money. I don't have kids of my own, but I wanted to leave a little bit of money for my friend's kids. I'm godparent to kids, but also these kids have been really special, precious for me in my life. And I didn't want to leave the money to do something sensible. I get a nice suit to wear on their first day of school, right? I'm not that kind of a godmother or or you know what I wanted was I wanted them to take the bit of money that I was going to give them in order to help them grow to have an adventure you know the kind of thing like oh I'd, I'd love to do this but I can't because I don't have the money oh well you know what remember auntie Fiona's um bequest but I realized that in order to do that I had to write a letter to let them know and I wanted them to use it for an adventure and these were for little girls as well it was really important for the little girls you know something to be courageous so I started to write a letter and I realized that I had to tell them why I thought being courageous was important you know to, to try stuff doesn't you know if you fail that's okay um but you, you need to give yourself permission and maybe this little bit of you know bit of money will help you to do that and as I was writing I started to notice that initially it, it started to become episodic. It's like, well, here's how I know how to have an adventure. And oh, but that leads me to, how do you know how to trust people? Why is that important? Well, I'll, I'll write a little story. So I started writing these little stories and it was a lovely way to do it. But then at a certain point, I just couldn't write. I just stopped. And I was like, why, why can't I write anymore? 
And I realized that the reason that I wasn't writing anymore was that I wasn't being courageous myself, really. I'd traveled the world, done interesting jobs, had amazing adventures, you know, degrees, courses, qualifications, accolades. But there was one place in the world that I'd never gone to. And that was the place where my mother is buried. And I, she's buried in Southwest Ireland. Um, she died when I was two and I was adopted. And when you're adopted, it's as if they say, today is day zero, everything that came before doesn't matter. But what was starting to happen to me around this time was I was starting to experience major panic attacks. I got myself into therapy and I realized that I was carrying a huge amount of guilt, pain, loss, grief. And because I hadn't, I hadn't dealt with her loss and I'd made up a story that somehow I was responsible for her death. So you see how this is built into a nuclear power station, right? <laughs> so I decided that I was going to try and find her. And believe it or not, you can't find everything on Google. So I, I couldn't find her. I, I was trying different ways to find where she was buried. Nothing happened. And then one day, literally, I'd given up. I, I stood in the doorway of longing, truly finally saying what I really wanted, which was to find her grave. And just then, when I'd given up, I got a message through Facebook from a stranger saying, hi, I think we're related. I'd never thought of connecting with the family. And I went to Ireland. I met the family. And not only did I find her grave, but I met them and who they were. They kept a treasure trove, like all the photographs. I'd never seen a photograph of her before, not properly, in one in which I could see her face. They kept the letters between my mum and my dad. They even kept my christening rope. And of course, then I went to her grave. They left me. They were so sensitive. They, they left me to go to the grave on my own. And I sat there. And all I could say was, well, hello, I found you again. It had taken me over 40 years. And... It was, it, it's a story that contains courage and also contains magic. And it set me on a path of, you know, when we talk about bringing our whole selves into our lives, that's what I mean. I mean, the bit that you get on with, you know, your life is successful because you think you don't look at this stuff, right? You know, you, it, it's like the wily e. coyote that, that runs off the, the cliff and keeps running and running and running as long as they don't look down. So for me, where that led me to ultimately was trying to help other people who also want, might want to live more whole, full lives with meaning, because I'm not sure that I've never said this before, Kate, but I don't think that my life would have been meaningful if I hadn't made that trip because that was the piece. That was the, piece of myself that I brought in and to find myself as well as finding her. So years go by, I train as a coach. I learn all these great skills. I work with all these amazing people. And one day a message comes through magically again. Would you like to write something about it? And now I have something to write about, right? 
not only a bit of my own story, which I tell to help people realize that life coaches don't live in a kind of nirvana of ice baths and meditation and crystals or anything like that, but actually to put my own skin in the game, but also to say, here are the tools and practices that will help. That's the fire that kind of lit me up through, and it needed to be a nuclear power station because of the amount of pressure that we put under ourselves, the demands, the loneliness, the isolation, the critics. That's the personal path. And the professional one is ultimately to help other people to do the same, to live more whole lives, people who get to a point when they've run out of road and they want to actually um, uh, create a more meaningful life for themselves. Because, believe it or not, not everyone can afford a life coach or have access to a life coach. So how can I help more people became the quest for me. So there's a personal and professional fire, like two power stations, Hinky B and C. <laughs> yeah, I, the book uh, is like a life coach in your in your pocket. You know, it, I think you've been very generous with your offering. But I was really curious about how it's been for you to put your personal life out there. Oh my God. I mean, there's so the boundaries, you know, back in the old days, back in the last century when I trained, you know, any any kind of health professional, you weren't in the phone, you know, probably weren't in the phone book, you weren't on the electoral roll, everything was completely private, you didn't disclose anything to clients. These days, you know, you're, you're you're photographing your menstrual blood and poo and sticking it on Instagram. You know, like it's got it's gone like it's insane the amount of ex- yeah. how people how much people share. But nevertheless, I'm really curious to hear about how it's been for you because it's one thing integrating your own vulnerabilities and your own stuff, but then to write about it. Oh my goodness, how was that? How did you do that? <laughs> Oh, man. Thank you. That's a really, you know, that's a very real um, experience and a real inquiry. I think it, you know, when you first start to write stuff, you do, you know, as well, and, and maybe people listening will, and you've got the tyranny of the cursor on the empty page, like blinking at you, going like, hiya. Um, and you have to start somewhere. And I'm a big fan of Anne Lamott's um, uh, invitation to just write what she calls the shitty first draft, which I think is really great. You just got to start writing. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, So when I was had the, you know, Fiona Buckland's book, blink, 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 I went, okay, I'm just going to start with the panic attacks because that was the moment at which I went, you know what, like I need to, to do something here because something's, you know, I was collapsing. I had literally run out of road. I was pulling the levers, nothing was working. I have to do something. I was fully prepared to take it out afterwards. Um, it wasn't, I hadn't intended to tell my own story really. Or I thought, well, I I might put a little bit of it in and said, yeah, I used to have panic attacks at a certain point and I ran out of rose so I can really, you know, I've got my skin in the game. I want it to be accessible. Like I know how uncomfortable it is. So there's a a technique to that as well. There's a a purpose to that, which is a kind of 
I'm, I'm with you. I know what it's like. Um, and of course, the other thing about it was, was that the, it might not have struck me immediately, but it gave at a certain point, the critics some really meaty stuff to get their teeth into. Who the hell do you think you are? You're being so arrogant. You're like one of those people who literally will turn themselves inside out and share absolutely everything. And of course, as a coach, as you just indicated, it's kind of like being a journalist. Remember, they used to take out the vertical pronoun. <laughs> and as a coach, I don't talk. You know, I have clients sometimes who will try and get me to talk about myself, but I'm really like, no, I might say I find this helpful or I can relate to that. But this is their time. Um, this is the moment when I change that a bit, because I think a book is a different thing. I think a book is a story as well. And I think the story is really important. You know, it, it, I didn't want to write a technical book. I've kind of got a little bit of a shadow around being an expert. You know, this sort of like, ah, oh, what you do is you do this and you do this and you do this. Um, and I don't like inhabiting that voice for too long because it, 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 it kind of, I have a little bit of the, again, more meat. Who are you to do this? But what about, have you got that exactly right? Have you read the latest Stanford thing on mindfulness or whatever it might be? Telling the story is actually me doing the kind of showing and the telling. How can I talk about how meaningful and authentic life might be or a whole life might be unless I'm willing to share the story of what that might be? Now, I have no idea what that's going to read like for people. Some people might go, this is really arrogant. Some people might go, um, oh boy, this is the bit that I like. I, I can ditch the rest of it. I also tried to contain it. It's mainly in the preface and then we get on with it. It's kind of like clearing my throat, staking my claim, sitting at the table and saying, I'm at this table. There's a place, you know, here for you too. Um, does it feel vulnerable? Yeah. Yeah, it does feel very vulnerable. Um, but I also think it's I think it's important to tell stories because we have an idea otherwise that life is in a nice straight line. And the idea that, you know, you might hit midlife and boom, you know, as you know, in your work, um, there's a gateway that you're challenged to walk through a threshold. And it could be, from, you know, it, it, it's not necessarily even gender specific, but how do you approach that? How do you recognize it? And what do you do next? That's the kind of things that I'm recognizing in myself and hoping to extend the invitation to people reading the book as well. But is it vulnerable? Yeah. 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 And how, how are you, because it's a year since my book came out, but I'm still in recovery. How are you going to, how are you looking after yourself? through all this maelstrom of promotion that you're doing? Oh, man. Um, you know, I could tell you the theory. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but that's bullshit. <laughs> tell us how actually you're going to look after yourself. Um, because, because it's part of your fire, because that will help other people. There'll be 
loads of people here who are writing or performing or in general bringing their spirit out into the world um and this kind of dance between the vulnerability of showing up in your skin and being safe enough to do that is 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 an art so any way that you can help with that and stick your top and tight knee and would be really helpful yeah so first of all for anyone who's doing this good for you like thank you thank you because we need you and it really appreciate even even if you just write on your 50th birthday your 40th birthday on your birthday just write a little autobiography tell your story it's a great thing to do and it's so important to see your life as a story as well rather than a random series of events right that's what makes life meaningful how you got through things what happened next can help you deal with the crap as well and i say this because it's really important for writing so this is about the third book i've written um and in doing it you know that meme that goes around that talks about the creative process this is really good oh this is a bit tricky oh this is not so good i'm really bad it's really bad i'm really bad oh actually it's pretty good oh okay it's all right you know it, the thing that helps me when i'm writing is to know where i am in the process there will all i mean that's talk about self care there's almost like a kind of if we go into parts there's a part of me that is watching the process and there's a part of me and i talk about this a lot in the book that stays in the driver's seat and notices when i'm not when the inner critics have got in so let me give you an example of what that looks like as i said right from the beginning whenever you're writing you're kind of welcoming in your inner critics because you have to you know that sentence isn't right you know that that doesn't make you know that just that's just not important why i'm including i mean because you have to so you're overstimulating it's like everyone's got their inner critics it's a part of our natural self defense mechanism they're not wrong they're actually trying to protect us and i think that that's really important as well as as self care i'm not so much on the bubble bath thing though that is really important too but being able to love those parts of you who cause you trouble that's self care so to notice when the inner critics are coming in and be, to be able to go okay you're there i'm staying in the chair so what's going on here but also to recognize i found in writing that they will appear at certain times in the process they will appear it will get really really bad just before you break through i don't know why i wish it wasn't i wish it was just every day sitting there writing but for me at least and certainly for other people they can really start to kind of gather around and and wrestle to grab the wheel and they're doing that just before you have a breakthrough so what i've found really useful is to recognize this is that moment it will feel like you are failing but that's not what's actually happening the the story and the reality the script and the reality the reality is i'm sitting in my chair it is hard the inner critics are here but i am in the chair and then to consciously choose what would be good for me to do now um psychologists talk about this thing called feelings of knowing like you know when you when you can't remember someone's name and you're like oh it's um 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 and 
certainly now postmenopausal, I'm like, forget it. Alison will do. <laughs> but but sometimes you know that you're almost there. So you just do a little bit more. Check in with those feelings of knowing what would be good for me right now. Maybe I do need to run a bath. You know, baths are great. Oh, have a bath or go for a walk. Call a friend. Give it, call it quits for the day. Sit, you know, you need a rest. So it's being able to almost have that um, uh, ability to direct yourself, to know when to rest, to know when to stop, not as um, I'm failing, but as I'm resourcing. Coachland, we talk a lot about we're resting or eating. Oh, I'm going to have my resource. Oh, you mean you're having lunch? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go to the bathroom. Oh, you're resourcing yourself. Absolutely. Because I can't focus when my bladder's full. But seeing it like that is really important and recognizing what you need to do to replenish. Uh, I talk about that in the book, you know, the different wells of energy that we have to notice are getting drained and we have to replenish. And the inner critics will show up when the wells get a little low sometimes as well. Again, they're always trying to help, but you, you need to know where you are in the process and to know that they're going to be there. But I put them there. I actually put them on my right there place them somewhere that's it you're not in the chair i am thank you <laughs> that's self-care oh, thank you yes yes keeping hold of witness consciousness yeah is yeah. such a helpful thing to be able to do and actually your your response reminded me of one of the things that i love about about the book and that is um reframe reframing feeling lost yeah yeah and reframing failure and reframing mess and all these things where we think oh we're falling backwards down the big hole of disaster but actually you reframe those as um a sign of change a sign of opening and possibility and that is just so helpful yeah yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. And I think it's something that we all can recognize and relate to, and yet we don't really talk about it. I remember the first day I went to therapy and I just went, oh, it's such a mess. And she went, yeah, and we're going to sit in it. But why would you think that that other people's lives are different in a way? Because it is messy. You know, a lot of the difficulty that we have is because of those scripts and the idea that it should be something else. Life should look like this. Other people have their lives sorted. And it's not true. And it doesn't look like that. It, you know, feeling lost is actually a necessary part of the process. And, and you would say, I'm sure as a creative, there's a value of mess. You know, even when we meet with a client, there will be a time when we're just dancing in the dark with them. We have no idea. We don't have an idea of what will sort them out, but we have to listen and dance with them in their mess so that they know that they're not alone and judged. And then we come through. It's a necessary start part of the process, but we forget okay. that. We'll just tell it. When, when um, <laughs> I have this fantasy, Fiona, one, about one day creating a a training. I don't know for therapists, well-being types, and there's no syllabus. The only requirement is that we practice sitting in the shit, <laughs> <laughs> our own shit. That's important. And building our tolerance of our of discomfort 
and our own not knowing and our own mess. I love that. I think that's that's the most important thing. I you know and, I, and for everybody I mean and for everybody too. Everybody. It's, not, it's not just for <laughs> let's start with the therapists and life coaches. Yeah. Let's let's start with the people who think they have to have it figured out first. Yeah. You know, can we be in recovery from that in some way? Uh, one of the things that I, I really like are kind of earth-based practices, you know, sitting around the fire, because there are practices like sitting in ashes, you know, sitting in the mess. Um, nature, you go out into nature, and unless you are in one of those beautiful parks in Paris where everything is gravel and trees all in a line, you know, do we go out into the woods and go, what a mess? Look at these leaves everywhere. <laughs> Why does the tree grow like that? You know, th- things have their form. It's it's a natural form. But now we look at our lives through the perspective of spreadsheets. You know, you there, there's order. Like I love, you know, the, the work that you do on seasons, for instance, is so important because there is a natural order. It's not chaos. Mess is not necessarily chaos. It's just that necessary part or, of the process of life you know the the not know we call it that the not knowing in a way but i think feeling lost means that you are ready for change and feeling the mess the unknown is means that you're in that port that point of transition sometimes because that's what it feels like you know we talk about the bog or the or the you know the metaphor that some teachers use is the the river you're on one bank it's nice and firm ground you get into the water and it's currents and messy and flowing and whoa hang on I can't feel my feet and what's that and then gradually you put your feet up on the other bank and maybe you don't but you're so right what makes the difference is our tolerance of it and maybe even in some ways our our, maybe for creatives to a certain extent our welcoming of it for for a short time anyway I, I, I do understand how difficult it gets if it feels like that continually for people that's that's more challenging and this topic I mean the topic of finding your path finding your calling it's so charged I mean it's 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 a highly charged thing I I mean I I, to be honest I kind of dodged it in second spring (laughs) because (laughs) because because I think that it I, I think that it has so much charge that the charge just gets in the way. But why do you think that is? Why do you think we have so much charge around that? So what's the charge for you? I'm curious for a moment. You sneaky bugger. There's a lot of charge for me. And then you've got a lot of charge for me. Um, this isn't your, your session. <laughs> so, that I, so that I can answer what you mean, because charge can be anything. Okay. Like- for other people okay by charge i mean uh panic not knowing overwhelm uh feeling like you're getting it wrong feeling like you're there's no time this Mm. is sort of going into client clients i hear there's no time i'm wasting time there's also a kind of a scarcity thing that i hear a lot that so and so so and so clever lovely beautiful so and so has that path but it's not for the likes of cruddy old me <laughs> uh, yeah um, sort of um demonas kind of um scarcity thing 
Yeah. Does that help? Absolutely. Okay. Um, <laughs> there's also the, the the charge, and there's an also there's a kind of anti as a shrug. My my brother, when I told him I was I was you know uh, uh, doing this kind of work, would just say to me, "Why can't people just get up in the morning and go to work and come back and have their tea, go to the gym, watch a bit of telly?" And I really need him in my life because that's a powerful. You talk about a frame. It's to remind yourself that that this isn't something that it's not compulsory. You know, it's it's about that calling if you have it. And I think that you've really helpfully named a couple of things. One is the whole question of <clears throat> clear his throat for big important announcement. Purpose. Um, I, I met with a client this morning, and she was like, "Whoa, purpose!" And I think that that's a pretty normal. Um, response actually of overwhelm because it's kind of been it sounds big right Greta Thunberg has a purpose um I was gonna say Elon Musk maybe he does have a purpose um he does he, he decided at a certain point transport was a thing you know it's big and lofty corporations have a mission statement what's my you know it, and because of that we can feel like, ooh, well, who who am I? I mean, that's the first thing, right? It's it's other people have purpose. I'm just, you know, I I live in Hove and I go to the shops and I get food and you know, call me mates and you know, Hoover. Um, and this is why it's really important to realize that purpose and meaning are slightly different things. Like, purpose is important because it kind of gives us a why in life. Like, why do we, why did we, why, why do we continue with what's important to us when we know, you know, why aren't we doing what's important to us when we know we have a limited amount of time on earth? Like that's the reality. And, and midlife brings us, you know, slap bang into that reality. And what do you decide to do with it is up to you. Sports car and earring, <laughs> you know, sit in your mess. Um, but what's really important is not to be overwhelmed about it um, because it doesn't need to be big, lofty, save the worldy, hopey, changey, you know, cure cancer. Um, it can just be suffused in how you're showing up in the world and the impact that you have. It's the kind of, you know, why am I doing what I'm doing? And I say in the book, you know, I, I want to connect people to their hearts. You know, I think we've become very disconnected from our hearts, from our bodies, from our deeper souls, you know, whatever you want to call it, whatever the language is. And, and you know, it's absolutely fine with me. And, but I could do that if I was working in a shop. I do that if I'm on the bus, you know, even in tiny little choices that I'm making to stop apologizing for myself. You know, when you're on the bus and you, someone gets out of your way and you go, oh, I'm sorry, in a very English way, why not turn and go, oh, thank you. You just had an impact there. And, and so, so to reduce the overwhelming question of that you've got to find a thing, you know, what, what I always ask people to do is to think about, project themselves forward if it feels comfortable, not everyone's comfortable with this, towards the end of their lives. And to imagine themselves, you know, sitting in a nice armchair or going for a nice walk and thinking back on one, what your most treasured memories are. What did people learn from you? Um, what were you most proud of? How are you really glad you spent your time? 
that starts to get us a bit more on the track to thinking what purpose might be, which in a way is how do you want to spend your time? What is the impact that you want to have? It's as simple and yes, as overwhelming as that, but let's not get all caught up in the big, lofty, overwhelming, I must find one thing, I must cure global poverty. Um, most of us are all just doing our bit for whatever it might be. Mm, thank you. That feels so so much more grounded. And it it makes me think, well, how do I want to be in the baker's when I go and get a bun? after we finish this conversation, you know, what, what, you know, really to really break it down into, so what now yeah. and what now and what yeah. now and to I have a choice in this and allow that, you know, yeah. You know, the, you know, you know, every single moment is full of millions of potential choices. So what you're going to, what you're going to choose. And the truth is that, People, when we think about purpose, I have probably had the greatest purpose, greatest impact on people almost randomly. And I'll, I'll tell you a, a short story. When I, I used to be a teacher at New York University, and one day one of my students came in and, and uh, for a conference, and she was just, you could see she was like in, about holding back tears, it was overwhelming. And I did the thing that you're not really supposed to do. I said, do you want to go for a coffee? Let's get out of the office. And we sat in the park and she just burst into tears. She'd had a lot of lots of personal stuff going on. It was her first semester at college. She was having a terrible time. She was away from her boyfriend and her family and there was lots of trauma. And I just sat and chatted with her, you know, bought her a cup of coffee and listened. That was it. I wasn't coaching at the time. I wasn't doing anything. Years later, I'm walking down the street and I hear this, oh my God, it's her. And I'm like, what? And she ran up to me. Um, it was about four years later and she had her parents with her. And they grabbed my hand and said, thank you so much. And I said, what are you, uh, what, huh? They said, you know, she was going to quit and worse on that day. You know, she was on the verge of hurting herself and quitting and, you know, and she decided not to because someone chose, to, you know, a teacher decided just to take her out for a coffee and listen to her and give her, you know, not give her advice. And she was training now. She went to law school to be a human rights lawyer. She, you know, I mean, I'm getting tingles, not, not, I hope it's not the arrogant, aren't I amazing tingles, but here am I writing books, doing dealer. Maybe the biggest impact I ever had in the world was just giving someone, you know, an hour and a half of my time one day back in, 1994 you know so that's the choice every day that's the choice and a lot of the purpose stuff you know we won't even know because nobody comes back with a scorecard at the end and goes there you go well done you fulfilled your purpose I mean that's the other thing we want right we want the validation of oh yes you know and that can feed the hungry ghost of 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 um, the desire for validation, achievement, instead of the other things that we really want, which are quite often connection, you know. 
with so much of yourself in this book how and it's going to go off into the world and have its own life and people will make their own meaning out of it how how do you plan to separate yourself from find your own path from your book I hadn't even got that far yet but it's a really good inquiry right would you, would you um recommend that there's a breaking up <laughs> ceremony that we do <laughs> well I'm asking asking you this because you gave me some great advice <laughs> I don't know, eight months ago, because you you recommended that I had an object that represented the book and had conversations with it and separated it. And I, yeah, it's, it's I don't, I can't even remember what it was now because at that moment it's has gone, gone. into the, yeah. I, I thank you for reminding me because there's the object there. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think objects are really important. When I was writing the book, I, you know, and I'm honest about it, I wasn't going to put this in, but at a certain point, I just had a massive anxiety attack. You know, I'd handed in the draft of the final thing, and then I just woke up in the middle of the night going, <gasps> you know, for, for, for lots of reasons. And I, I literally wanted to call my editor and say, forget the whole thing. And one of my friends gave me some really good advice. He said, the book can be shit. <laughs> the reception can be shit. But you are fundamentally not shit. And one of the reasons why it's good to have an object is because we over-identify because we're writing there, we're writing there, we're writing there. We over-identify. It's like it's kind of coming from us and in a way it's a part of us. And at a certain point, we have to put it there and go, no, you're there and I'm here. You know, that I'm me, you're you. And you're right because other people will take it on and I, I really hope that they do and they find their own path. It's not, this isn't a way of saying this is the path you should have. It's the techniques to, to help you to find out what yours is. Sorry, I'm not going to do that work. <laughs> but having a thing, it, it's also the power of ritual. You know, there is a place not far from me, but, but tricky enough to get to in the Ashdown Forest that I spent some time with a few years ago. And I really became very connected to the place. Um, and I think, and this is me saying it, you know, thank you for the for the um, the kind of prompt. I will probably take myself to that place, and I will leave something there, and I will leave something there. It won't be the object itself, but I will find something else to represent it. And I'll walk the land in a kind of medicine walk, which is you know I'm focusing rather than going. Oh, I wonder if. And there will be signs of the place to put it. It might be somewhere that I know already. And I will take the object and I will say thank you. Thank you so much. Because this is a really big moment for me in lots of ways. A lot of it coming out of hiding. And then I might leave it there. I might leave it there. And I can always go back and visit it. But I might leave it there and say thank you. I am now free, but something like that, the externalization of it does do some of the inner work. And I do think to, to do something with things on land really helps because we're holding so much cognitively in our heads all the time that I, I, I you know, I don't know what's going to become of us. Sometimes it's, we're overwhelmed all the time. 
So it gives us, there's a tangible piece that's the, that's the offering of a thing or a place, the, the temperature of it, the smell of it, the whatever it might be that brings us back into the tactility of our lives rather than it being some kind of a cognitive um, uh, puzzle that we're constantly having to figure out all the time. Because that's the other thing, you know, life isn't an exam, it isn't a puzzle. Um, you know, one of the, the more helpful philosophers said, you know, life isn't a puzzle or a problem for you to solve. It's just a reality to experience, which I find myself, again, one of the things that I use to remind myself all the time, oh, yeah, stop trying to figure it out as if it's a puzzle or a problem I got to solve. Just this is the mess. <laughs> Thank you. That's so helpful. And I think it's relevant. It's not it's not just relevant for books. It's relevant for all I was gonna say all things you've created, but you know, relationships, projects, all kinds of projects. Yeah. I mean, even you know, when you leave a home that mm. you've lived in, or somewhere even that you've stayed for a few days. I mean, I don't know about you, but I go around and I just put my hand on the walls and say thank you. <laughs> yes, I do. Yes. <laughs> thank you for looking after me. Thank no. you, lovely house. Thank you. Do, and it's yeah. it's so important just to, mm. to, to have that connection. And now I let you go to be whatever you're going to be for the next person. Mm. Um, you know, it, it's it's nice, isn't it? And other people might find their own ways. Mm. There might be different things. That other Some people like to write things, burn them. Some people like to put on some music and just shake everything out. Some people, you know, whatever it is, you know, find the thing that actually kind of helps you. Might be a line that you, you know, a threshold that you step over and you go, I've done that on walks before and I've been thinking about something and worrying about something. And then I go, ah, oh, there's a threshold. And when I step over that, I let it go. And that, and that helps me. That does help me. You've been really generous with sharing the gnarly bits of the, your creative process. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It's all gnarly. It's all gnarly. But what about the joys? What, what's been the most joyful part of uh, creating this book? Look, the, the, the gnarliness, the, the, we, can have a, we can have an idea that joy is separate from, from mess, right? Um, and I want to be really careful, careful what I say here because, funnily enough, I'm, I'm a bit wary of positive psychology just put a grin on it but what I do remind myself of when I'm in my is that actually what I'm feeling is the is the experience of being alive right when I'm writing when something just flows or it doesn't flow but I'm okay to go dot 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 gonna come back to that later when I'm listening to a piece of music that somehow elevates me and takes me into a different plane. And I use that a lot sometimes when I'm writing, you know, if I'm stuck in a, mm, this is all very technical and very, I put on some music and whoosh, or I take a chapter that I'm struggling with and I go, right, I'm going to play with it. And I have a play version and I just rip it and roll on the floor with it and throw it up in the air and see how it lands. And so there's, there's creating the joy in the process as well. You know, what would be the most beautiful thing to say here? What am, what am I really, if I connect with my heart and not try and figure out 
what am I really saying here? And then landing that, letting it come up from the heart is really, is really lovely. Um, and the excitement, you know, being creative has that quality of aliveness that it might be, um, it can be exciting, it can be fearful, but it's also, and I think, you know, we said it earlier, it's such an act of courage. Even, it's not about being published. A lot of people think being writing is about getting published. It's not, it's about saying something. Um, and, you know, I, wouldn't, I wasn't intending um, for, for this to be the thing that goes with the will. <laughs> But, um, but, you know, maybe something is, and, and you'll have the same thing when you get stuck. The joy is of imagining the person whom it's going to help, because that's my purpose, right? Um, that's that's the, the, the joy of it. Um, and it's terrifying. Um, but that's the point. That's who we're writing for. We need to remember to write for those and not for the people who would tear us down. And to remember, we don't need to be brilliant. Joy is not is not to be found in being brilliant. That's Supplemental question. Go did on. you have a particular person you wrote it for? Like, did you have someone in your mind's eye and you fleshed them out and you yeah. had little chats with them? And... Yeah, 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 absolutely. And sometimes, um, sometimes that person was me, which sounds kind of a bit egotistical, but I had to dance you know, in order to write what I was writing, I really had to, for, for years, I told the story of my adoption as if it was a story like I was reading out of a storybook. Classic disassociation, because what can you do with when your, your mum dies when you're two? How can you even begin to process the grief? And of course, it being the early 1970s in the UK, there wasn't really a process for doing that. The only thing that you can do is go back later really to a certain extent. And I'm sure therapists will say, no, actually there are really good procedures that we can do now with trauma. So in a way, part of it was to get very close to her and to how she was and how it felt for her and how it feels now because she is the one who's enabled me to write this. You know, so who am I writing it for? I'm writing it almost to her in a way to say thank you as well. And to the stroppy 14-year-old who, you know, wanted to leave home and was getting drunk because she was so traumatized. And, you know, all of those are here too. And I'm only here because they were so strong. So it's not only to the reader, but it's also saying thank you. Because if you hadn't been able to do what you did, I wouldn't be able to do this now. And that, by the way, that looked messy at 14. <laughs> You know, let's talk about comparative mess. But yeah, it's a, it, the, the technique overall of finding that person is really important, which is why when I started writing, even before this book, writing a letter was really good. It's a really helpful technique for would-be writers. If they're stuck and they're trying to please, especially if you're trying to please everybody, forget it. Forget it. You can't. You'll just be tangled up forever. So literally start with, dear Andrea you know, thank you at the end. I wish you all the best. It helps, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a really helpful thing to do. And we 
yeah, I have, I have like, so, I have so many more questions, mostly about creative process. However, we need to close here. So for somebody who is feeling lost and is awakening to the possibility of a path, not a legacy, mind you, <laughs> not purpose. Oh, no, nothing like that. Nothing to see here. You can use um, the word purpose, but let's just go purpose rather than <clears throat> purpose. <laughs> purpose. One of them things, one of those. Choose your your vocab. Um, What one thing could you offer them to do or focus on? Mm. Mm. Well, one is, you know, obviously just get the book and and read it. Um, Yeah. I guess it's one thing, two parts, if you really distilled a lot of things down. One is to notice the shoulds in your life because we are running off unconscious scripts and a lot of them are very good. They might have helped us be successful or to be liked or, you know, to be good parents, good daughters, good brothers. Um, But there's a lot of shoulds. Um, Start to spot them with curiosity and kindness rather than, oh, And we'll start to notice some of it is cultural. Some of it is from family. Just jot it down. Like, oh, you know, it it was my birthday this week. I was 54. And at my age, I should start off with that. At my age, I should. And you'll start to notice. Again, just keep them. Oh, okay. And some of them are important. I should call my dad on his birthday. I should exercise. You know, that's important. But there are lots of other shoulds that keep me in, in place. The second part of that then is to find a figure figure out what are the things that really do intrinsically motivate you from within. Um, the values piece, really. And I call it like building a compass or a GPS. People get that, right? So if you build a compass and GPS of your own values, do not just tick them off a list, but ask yourself, you know, when have I felt most alive? And that's not always when you're most happy, by the way. Um, And then set them into some kind of a compass, reminding yourself, of course, that they change over time. They're not fixed. Um, It's worth checking in. And then start to ask yourself, what could I do today, this month, this year, to honour one of the most important, you know, a core value of mine? That's the, the very, very basic stuff. That, that we start to do, but it's the fundamentals, really. It, it, it really is the fundamentals of what we do. And there's lots of stuff around it to support you to do that. But that's really what you're doing. You're, you know, you can't find your own path without a compass and you need a pathfinder. You need to become a pathfinder. And you can't do that, that unless you notice how you're already stuck on a map that might not be your own. The book is Find Your Own Path, How to Create the Life You Really Want. And it's published by Michael Joseph and it's available at all good bookshops. I recommend that you buy from your local independent bookshop. And then don't forget to leave a review on Amazon because algorithms as you know, rule the world. And if you can leave a review on Amazon, 
and you don't have to have bought a book there to do that. It really helps authors. And you can find Fiona at fionabucklandcoaching.com and her social media is all on Fiona Buckland Coaching. My book, Second Spring, The Self-Care Guide to Menopause, is available from your favourite independent bookshop. And if you fancy exploring one-to-one sessions or uh, setting up a retreat day, just go to the booking page at katecodrington.co.uk where you can book a free chat and we can figure it out together. If you've enjoyed this episode, it would be wonderful if you told a friend about it. You can share it on your socials, of course, and that would be wonderful. You could rate it or even leave a review. I'd love that on iTunes or wherever you can do that. Everything you can do to support this endeavour makes a huge difference. And I so appreciate your support. Because together we can spread the word that we don't need fixing. We are not dysfunctional because we are inhabiting a female body. Mostly we suffer because we live in a messed up system. And if this is your first episode, do have a rummage where there are loads of interesting episodes on perimenopause, many different topics around that, postmenopausal life, creativity, autism, ADHD, writing, yoga, ageing, money, style, loads of different areas and fabulous conversations we've had here. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening and I'll be back in your ears very soon.